Have any of you ever played a game and gotten really, really, really good at it? He has. He wins every game. Oh, wow, that's impressive. Every game you play. So here's the question. Do you ever get tired of winning? No. You don't get tired of winning. Regardless of what, uh, regardless of what Trump said years ago, you know, you don't get tired of winning, right? You don't win so much that you get tired of winning. You might get bored of the game, but you don't get tired of winning. And yet, it seems that Asa got tired of winning. Let's see if we can figure out why. Now, we're in the middle of this back and forth history talking about Israel and the kings of Israel and what they did and then talking about Judah and the kings of Judah and what they did. And We're only a few generations past David. We got David, then Solomon, Rehoboam, and then this morning we read about Abijam and yes, both Rehoboam and Jeroboam, whose names are remarkably similar, had sons that they named Abijam or Abijah, uh, depending on you know, they'll change some letters around here and there, depending on where in the book you are, which book you're reading. But yeah, they, they named their sons the same, just to, I think, mess with us. That's probably why, don't you think? Yeah. Uh, but don't get confused. This is, the, this is the king of Judah that we're talking about this morning. And he only reigned for three years. Some of these kings weren't kings for very long. Um, some of them are even shorter than that. Some of them don't even make it one year. But Abijam ruled for three years. Was Abijam a good king or a bad king, kids? Bad king. And when we're talking about the kings, the comparison that gets made over and over again is to the great king, King David, right? So, Abijam, it says in verse 3, walked in all the sins of his father which he had committed before him. And we've already studied those. And his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God like the heart of his father David. So we've got this comparison that gets brought up many times when we're talking about the kings. How did he compare to David? Did he live up to the golden, perfect, best standard that they had, King David? What's the standard? Well, the standard is not all the things that you would think the standard would be. If it was all the things you thought, think the standard should be, you wouldn't be comparing him to David, you'd be comparing him to Solomon. Right? How much power did he have? How much money did he have? How rich were the people? Right? How successful was this king? No, that's not who we compare him to. We compare him 
to David. And what do we look for when we're comparing? Nothing about the success of the kingdom. Nothing about winning. What we look at is his heart. Was his heart wholly devoted to the Lord his God, like the heart of his father David? Abijam's was not, as we've just read. So, we read of the, the trouble that's been ongoing in these tribes, this formerly once one great kingdom, now divided into two, now fighting against each other, now no longer quite so successful either, if we're going to judge by worldly standards. What we see is political trouble. War between Jeroboam and Rehoboam, And then, war between Abijam and Jeroboam. You know, the the kings don't all transition at exactly the same time. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? And they both reigned for three years, and then the next two kings were... No, sometimes things are nice and beautiful and even like that for us OCD people, and then... Then we've got the kings of Israel and Judah, and they never line up, do they? So, war between Jeroboam and Rehoboam, war between the next king, Abijam, and Jeroboam. And then we read of war between Asa and Baasha, the next king down up in Israel. So Asa replaces his father Abijam, and there's still war. Now, what I want you to see in all of these things is war is continuous, right? And we're between these two, this divided kingdom. But we're only hearing about that. If you go and you read in First and Second Chronicles, you find that there's other wars, there's other peoples that are attacking as well. There's other things going on in the larger world. Kings is very focused locally. But there is political trouble. What I want you to realize is that any one of these battles, any one of these wars, could have been the end of Judah. Any one of them could have been the destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple. Any one of these fights could have been the disaster that ended that kingdom. This happens to nations suddenly throughout history, certainly many times recorded in the Bible and and many others that we know of, that you, you you see the remains of the capital city. There's nothing left and nobody living there, just jungle or just desert, right? Depending on which... Continent you're on, probably, mostly. And you go and you you read what the archaeologists have found, and often what they find is 
It was sudden. It was not a slow decline. It was a sudden disbursement, a sudden end. There was fire, everything burned, and the city was never inhabited again. The end of the kingdom. The end of the capital city, the end of the kingdom, the end of the people. That's it. It's over. Certainly we understand that when Russia invaded Ukraine, that could be the end of Ukraine. Right? Has not been yet. God knows what will happen. We don't. But we understand this is the kind of thing that can end. End a nation. End a country. You may have been reading in the news the question of whether I forgot her name. Whoever's going over, is she going to visit Taiwan or not? That's the question. Right? Who is it? Pelosi. Yeah, thank you. And what's the question? Why, Why does that matter? Well, because the big question, the long standing question with Taiwan is is it going to continue to exist or not? Nobody's really quite sure about that. Why? Well, because China says it doesn't exist. And if China says something doesn't exist, well, they generally have the strength to make it not exist. And so there's been talk of China invading Taiwan. If China invades Taiwan, will that be the end of Taiwan? Well, maybe. Quite possibly. Right? When we're reading in... Kings, it's easy for us to forget that war is serious. It, we know some of the history. We know that, you know, eventually there's this, that, and the other going to happen. They both exist for a long time. And then Israel, that happens. And then Judah, that happens. And, and we kind of know that. But what I want you to see is think about the political danger, the political conflict that's going on, the, the military might that's being brought to bear at given times against. God's people against Judah in particular here, because we're talking about the southern kingdom right now. Any one of these could have wiped out Jerusalem. Any one of them could have wiped out David's line. Now, why is that so important that we realize the danger? Why is it so important that we recognize that War could have meant the end of David's line, Jerusalem, and really of Judah as a whole. It's because of what we read right near the beginning, verse 4, But for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem to raise up his son after him and to establish Jerusalem. We think, but Jerusalem's already established and it's not in any danger. We know when it's going to fall. But we forget, the reason it hasn't fallen is because God has made a conscious decision. He is protecting this nation. He is protecting this tribe. He is protecting this city. He is protecting this family. 
in spite of all of the wars, all of the dangers, all of the conflicts, God has protected. And not just in spite of all of the political and military trouble, but also in spite of all of the spiritual trouble. Solomon's fall into idolatry. Rehoboam's idolatry. Abijam's idolatry. The people's idolatry. Any of these are reasons God could cancel his plan. The end. No more Jerusalem. No more David's line. Isn't it so wonderful that God doesn't cancel his plans? You realize what that would mean. If God had canceled his plan and said, you know what, these people. There would be no Jesus, you guys. That's what's at stake here. There would be no Jesus. If the line of David is ended, there is no lion of the tribe of Judah. There is no king established forever and ever on the throne. That's what's at stake. And so, God's faithfulness is called out, but for the sake of David, it says, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem. Obviously for the sake of the Lord keeping his promises, but David, for David's sake, David's dead, but for David's sake, God keeps Jerusalem. God keeps even Abijam, though he walked in all the sins of his father. He kept him around as king for a few years in order to raise up his son after him and to establish Jerusalem. Now, I'm not sure who his son refers to, actually. Uh, it could be Referring to David, I mean, his son, who? Whose son? David's son or Abijam's son? Well, they're the same because Abijam is from David, right? But for David's sake. Think of God doing something for your sake. Because of the way that you served him. Because of the way you were wholly devoted to him. That would be winning, wouldn't it? <laughs> that four generations later, God is still thinking about you. And being kind to you in spite of what all the people who have come after you have done. God refrained from destroying Judah, Jerusalem, David's line. David here is given high praise, isn't he? 
He's the standard by which everybody is compared first. Then, it says that for His sake, the Lord is still doing all of these things. Clearly, God is being patient for the sake of David. But the praise gets even higher in the next verse. It says, David had not turned aside from anything that God commanded him all the days of his life, except in the case of Uriah the Hittite. So does that mean that that's the only sin David ever committed? What do you think, kids? No, you think probably he talked back to his mom once or twice? Yeah. We know David was a sinner. We know David had other failings. We've even studied some of them early on in these sermons. But the truth is that none of them are worth mentioning in comparison to that one. That was a whopper of a sin, wasn't it? Murder and idolatry, I mean, uh, adultery. That was a big one. So why does it say he'd not turned aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life except in the case of Uriah the Hittite? Well, like I already said, it's because none of the rest of them are worth mentioning in comparison to that one. But it's beyond that. It's what the author is trying to drive home to us, which is that David was truly seeking the Lord. He was truly dependent on God. And so although we know of other failings that David had, there's a reason that it is David that people are compared to. Even in how he responded to his sin, through repentance, through humbling himself before the Lord, we read of his confession of sin in the Psalms, right? The prayers that he poured out to God when he was caught in sin. What do these things show us? They show us how his heart was wholly devoted to the Lord. Wholly devoted, completely devoted to the Lord. And so God gave the people of Judah, Asa, as king. The son of Abijam, who lo and behold, out of nowhere, instead of being like his father, was like his great-great-grandfather. Or great-great, I don't know. I forget. David. He was like David. 
He did what was right in the sight of the Lord, like David, his father. And what is it that he does? It's described his purification of the land. He gets rid of the male cult prostitutes. He removes all the idols which his fathers had made. He removes Maaka, his mother, from being queen mother. Why? Because she had made a horrid image as an Asherah. And then he doesn't just remove her for doing that, but then he gets rid of, makes sure to point out, he also gets rid of it. Right? He burned it at the brook Kidron. This is, um, let's just say this is the news that week. Right? The queen mother deposed. And then a public spectacle at the Brook Kidron. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away, but the heart of Asa was wholly devoted to the Lord all his days. The heart of Asa was wholly devoted to the Lord all his days. Now, did Asa sin? Asa also sinned, didn't it? Didn't he? What else does it say? He began to restore the temple's losses by dedicating silver and gold utensils to the Lord's work there. This guy is committed to doing good work. And what a joy it is to see a king back in Jerusalem who worships the Lord. To see a king back in Jerusalem who is committed to that work. Now, the author here in 1 Kings is drawing with big, bold lines, isn't he? Bright contrasts. Clear judgments. The good kings, the bad kings. David Good. Abijam, bad. Asa, good. Nevertheless, we also read of something that Asa did that is disturbing if you think about it. Asa bribes the king of Aram. And what does he use for the bribe? He, he goes and takes the things, the gold and silver that were devoted to the Lord, that he had done the work of rebuilding, right? He takes from the treasury of the temple, 
the gold and silver, and, and he uses it to bribe somebody, to bribe the king of Aram. And what does he want the king of Aram to do? He wants the king of Aram to break his treaty, to break his word, to become a faithless ally, to turn and attack those he had covenanted to protect. If this were in a movie, you would hate the king of Aram. Right? How can you not despise the king of Aram when he accepts the bribe and goes to war against the people who had trusted him to defend their flank? And Asa is the one who bribed him to do it. Now, here's the thing. It worked. Right? What happened? The king of Aram comes in, attacks Israel's flank, starts wiping out cities, starts conquering territory, taking What was it? The land of Naphtali? Yeah, besides all the land of Naphtali. And so Baasha, the king currently in Israel, when he hears of it, he stops fortifying Ramah. And Asa is able to destroy the city that was so near to Jerusalem that was being built by his enemy as an attempt to prevent the political, military power of Judah from growing. And as a matter of fact, to be a, to be a, uh, a cut, cutting him off from all of the rest of Israel and anyone who would desire to worship the true God. We're still dealing with that. And also, cutting him off from supplies, cutting him off from allies, cutting him off from trade, keeping anybody from being able to go in or out. Isolating and harming the kingdom of Judah under King Asa. <clears throat> Excuse me. Asa defeats that city. His plan of defeating uh, Baasha by bribing the king of Aram works. And so, all right, fine. You know, if it works, it works. If you win, you win. But there's more to the story. We're actually given the interpretation of this event in 2 Chronicles 16. Now before I tell that story, I want you to know that also we have, uh, you know, in, in Kings we're reading 
just these very short excerpts, and, and the same with Chronicles, but they cover some different things. One of the things that we don't read about in 1 Kings that happens with King Asa is a war with the Ethiopians. Okay? And that's referenced in here. So listen in 2 Chronicles 16, 7-10. At that time... Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Aram and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Aram has escaped out of your hand. When did Asa rely on the king of Aram. Well, we, we, that's, what we're, that's what it's referring to. That's what it's referencing. What we just read of him bribing the king of Aram to help him defeat Israel, right? Therefore, the army of the king of Aram has escaped out of your hand. So what God is saying to Asa here is, you got worried about Israel, and instead of relying on me, you relied on the king of Aram. But you were going to defeat the king of Aram and his army if you had relied on me. Instead of getting that one city destroyed and feeling like you're safe, if you had trusted me, you would have also gotten Aram. But now you've lost Aram. So all of a sudden, it doesn't feel quite so much like winning, does it? When you're told what would have happened. But let's keep reading. Hanani the seer continues, and he says, Were not the Ethiopians... And the Lubim, an immense army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. You have acted foolishly in this. Indeed, from now on, you will surely have wars. Well, that doesn't sound like winning either, does it? Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in prison. For he was enraged at him for this. And Asa oppressed some of the people at the same time. Now, Let's go back and read from 1 Kings. Asa did what was right in the sight of the Lord, like David, his father. The heart of Asa was wholly devoted to the Lord all his days. 
wholly devoted to the Lord all his days, and yet here Hanani is the seer saying, look, the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. The implication being obviously that Asa's heart has not been wholly devoted to the Lord. So what gives? What's going on here is the same thing that's going on when it says that David's heart was wholly devoted to the Lord and he did everything exactly what God had said except for that one time with Uriah the Hittite. The author of 1 Kings isn't dumb. He's not forgetting that David had other faults. He's not forgetting about Asa's failure here. Okay? But he's making a judgment that's a generalization that is really quite shocking to us. That really there is such a thing as a good king and a bad king. We can look at all the kings and we can say bad, 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 you know. Um, And we can even look at David and we can say bad, 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 and look at the fruit. There's bad fruit here and bad fruit there and bad fruit the other place, right? Is there a perfect king? Is David the perfect king? There's no perfect ruler. There's no perfect president. And as a matter of fact, the best of them, David, has that major problem, that major failing, that major sin of giving himself to lust, to laziness, Adultery, murder. And Asa, whose heart is wholly devoted to the Lord, has that time where his heart is not wholly devoted to the Lord and it causes problems. Nevertheless, Asa is a good king. Asa, who throws the prophet of the Lord in prison, is a good king. That's what Kings tells us. Asa, who trusts in the Lord and defeats the Ethiopian and the Lubim army that's humongous because he trusts in the Lord, and then instead of trusting in the Lord, trusts in the king of Aram later on and has wars for the rest of his life because of it, who takes the things that he'd been giving to the Lord and rebuilding the treasury of the temple and and uses them as a bribe. Yeah, good king. He's a good king. Like David is a good king. Oh, there's a lot of applications from this. first one I want us to see is really in some sense what he's done is he's trusted, yes, in the king of Aram, but he's looked to money to save him. 
He's looked to money to save him. And, and who has looked to money to save him? The man who had been using money faithfully, giving it in service to the Lord. Takes it back and uses it for a bribe. This is what's going to save me. The money that I devoted to the Lord, I'm going to take and use for something else so that I can save myself. Rather than trusting in the Lord. I want you to see that churches that give their money faithfully to the Lord, church people who give faithfully, are not exempt from the the temptation to trust in your money. This is why I, I love the verse in Ecclesiastes that says money is the solution to everything. Asa thought that money was the solution to his problems. He's finally saved up enough money in the kingdom and he's like, you know what, I don't have to rely on God. I don't have to trust him. I can just take this money and solve the problem. Money will be the solution. I can trust in money. I can use money to buy the favor of King, the King of Aram. I can't remember his name now. King, whatever his name is. And what's the result? The result of putting our trust in our money, putting the trust in the money that we've given to the church, putting our trust in the bank account that we have or the bank account that the church has, the result of putting our trust in money is that we're no longer trusting in the Lord. And the consequences of no longer trusting in the Lord is you stop winning. That's it. From the world's perspective, you don't stop winning. Asa won. He accomplished the goal, right? It's only from God's perspective that, you, that, that the truth breaks into his world. And all of a sudden, oh got to be kidding me. I could have had all of Aram and had peace for the rest of my... Now, that's not winning. And I want you to realize how often we judge with wrong judgment on the basis of the, the world's standards. The world doesn't use David as the test for whether a man is winning as a king. Good king or bad king, it's the economy, stupid. Right? Solomon is supposed to be the one that we're comparing to. How many of us look at what the president does and say, Yes, that was the right thing, even though, politi- even though economically, pff, that was no good. If our trust is in money, then we don't know how to make that judgment. We judge based on the world's understanding of what is wise and good, what success is. 
But the success of Asa is built up here and praised for when he trusts in the Lord. Not for when he trusts in his money. And although it seemed like he had accomplished his goal, the cost was high. Put your trust in the Lord. Now, another thing that we have to take away from this is that we must remember that faithful men can do terrible things. Faithful men can do terrible things. Why is that helpful to remember? Well, there's two sides to this. It's very important for two reasons, okay? The one reason is so that we realize no one is exempt from falling into serious sin. Not any of us and not any of our heroes, not any of our spiritual leaders, not any of those who are fathers of the faith to us, whether that was in person or books or podcasts or anything else. Nobody is exempt Not David, not Asa, not the men you love, not you. And it doesn't matter how long you have been wholly devoted to the Lord, the moment that you stop trusting in Him and begin to trust in money, or the moment that you begin to trust in some political scheme, is the moment that you've fallen into sin. Faithful men can and do have major failings. Why is that so important for us to remember? It is important for us to remember so that we will take heed, so that we will take warning for ourselves, so that we will not rest on our laurels, not rest on our history, not put our trust in the fact that yesterday I was doing pretty good, but so that we will press on seeking the Lord every day through to the end of the race. Through to the end of the race. Not through to your retirement. Not through to when the last kid leaves the house. Not through, you see, The end of the race. Because it doesn't matter how long, how many years, how many ways, how many trials you've been through, how many battles you've had to fight with Ethiopia and be surrounded by soldiers. and Okay. And trusted in the Lord. You have to keep trusting in the Lord. Second reason, sub-reason, that it's important for us to remember that faithful men can do terrible things is so that we will not make idols of men who we look up to. This is so easy for us to do. Kings is drawing the bright lines Good king, bad king, good king, bad king, bad king, bad king, good king, right? Kings draws those just real easy, bright lines, but it, and says, you know, devoted to the Lord. 
David is devoted to the Lord. Asa is devoted to the Lord. And also, Asa did this. Now, we don't even get the interpretation. I think it's supposed to be obvious to us. This is a problem, you guys. He took the money out of the treasury of the temple and he bribed the king of Aram to break his treaty and to become a false ally, right? Like, you guys, this is, this is nasty stuff. But we're not given the interpretation unless we go and reread in Chronicles. But once you read there, it's, there's no... There's no saying like, no, no, this was winning. Don't you understand? He accomplished the goal. You know, sometimes you got to break a few eggs to make an omelet. No. Kings doesn't shy away from pointing out the faults, even as it makes the judgments. Hart was wholly devoted to the Lord all his days, and he did this. David's heart was wholly devoted to the Lord. He never did anything wrong except for that, you remember. Kings isn't shying away from it. It's making these bold judgments though and that's the other reason that it's important for us to remember that wicked things can be done by faithful men. And that is because If the moment a man sins, you judge him to now be wicked, to now be a bad king, to now be an unfaithful father, to now be a baddie. He's moved from the faithful man goody list in 1 Kings to the baddie list, right? Because he sinned. That's not the way that we have things described for us in 1 Kings, is it? The author of Kings knew what Asa had done. Didn't tell us all of it. Didn't tell us that he threw Hanani the seer in jail. Hello. Yikes. Right? Kings have a habit of throwing people in jail, don't they? Or just killing them. Kings have a habit of losing their temper when People give them bad news, don't they? Now, I say this not to excuse Asa, right? I I say it just so you see, well, you know, if I was in his position, and I was used to getting my own way, I might be enraged at Hanani too. Faithful men can do terrible things and still be judged as faithful men. And this is where it gets a little bit dicey, a little bit confusing. He 
It's one thing to take warnings so that we do not fall into sin ourselves, but remain faithful to the end. It's, an, it's, it's one thing to take warning not to think that anybody is above terrible sin. Anybody that we love, anybody that we look up to, right? It's another thing to have our image of them shattered because of something wicked that they have done. Some sin maybe against us, maybe against somebody else. And to still have kings say Asa was devoted to the Lord. His heart was wholly devoted to the Lord all his life. See, what we want is we want people to clearly be in one of the two camps, a goodie or a baddie, somebody we can look up to or somebody we can condemn, right? And Kings gives us that. We've got Asa, he's good. We've got Abijam, he's bad. But what it doesn't give us is what we really wish that meant, which is that there's nothing to criticize about Asa and there's nothing good about Abijam. That's not that that's what we want, but that's not what we get. Abijam, yes, he's wicked. And we don't give we're not given anything good that Abijam did per se, right? But you know, I guarantee you he wasn't as bad as he could have been. He did some good things, right? And Asa, he was good. But he did some bad things. That puts us in a position that we don't like being in. And the reason that we don't like being in it is because we don't like admitting any time an enemy does something good. If you think about this from the perspective of politics and arguing on Facebook or Twitter... You know you can't acknowledge ever that your political opponent had a point or accomplished something good or made a good decision. And even if you have to acknowledge that the decision was good, you, you've got to say, but it was only because, and, and insert some bad motive, right? They're bad. They're bad. They're the baddies. But I would say, as hard as it is to ever acknowledge that somebody you don't like has done something good, it maybe is even harder for us to acknowledge that someone we do like has done something bad. Asa had done something bad. Hanani, the faithful seer, goes and gives him the Lord's word and suffers the consequences of it, doesn't he? You know, Hanani, 
you could have just left well enough alone. Asa was happy. He thought he won. He, he did accomplish what he wanted. The city's gone, you know. Just come on. But Asa point, has it pointed out to him by Hanani. No, you failed. It looks like you won, but you haven't won. In fact, it seems you got tired of winning. We win by trusting God. How many men there are who have been faithful in many ways and then been wicked in ways that are clear to see if we have eyes to see, if we're willing to see. But we don't want to see. We don't want anybody like Hanani pointing out the failures of Asa. Come on, the Let's, let's just have it the record of 1 Kings where he's described as good, he's on the good side, and then we read this story of him buying off the king of Aram and wow, what a great king. Wholly devoted to the Lord all his days and we can feel so justified about some of the things that we do, Right? We've got to be willing to call out those who are sinning, who are turning their faith from the Lord, turning their trust away from Him to to begin to trust in money, to begin to trust in prestige, to begin to trust in the accolades of the world. All the things that motivate people to begin to compromise and turn aside from speaking God's truth faithfully, if they're pastors, for example. To begin to hide some of God's truth. We must remember that faithful men can do terrible things. Otherwise, we won't be able to acknowledge. This man has done great things for the kingdom of God, and this was wicked. He should not have done it. And we won't be able to hear any criticism of any Christian. Put your trust in the Lord. Put your trust in the Lord that although His servants sin, Yet he is faithful. He's faithful to his promises. Think of David's line. Still standing strong here with Asa in spite of Solomon, Rehoboam, Abijam. Now Asa. A good king. A good king. And not just David's line still standing strong here in our text, but David's line established forever as he promised through King Jesus. 
God will support those who trust in him and whose heart is devoted to him. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. That's what our hearts are to be. Wholly devoted to the Lord. Don't be afraid to trust him. It doesn't matter what the enemy is. It doesn't matter what is at stake. For Asa, everything was at stake. If he had simply trusted in the Lord, the king of Judah would have been in a better place. The kingdom of Judah would have been in a better place. If you trust in the Lord, you'll be in a better place. You may think it's trust God or win. And I can't tell you how many times I've thought about the description of winning on the part of conservative people and and the emphasis on winning. Remember Asa. He thought he was winning. He thought he had accomplished what he needed to accomplish. But when push came to shove and God opened his eyes to see what he had really lost, the judgment was very different. But it's not a judgment that would have been hard to make if we had just looked at what he did. Just look at what he did. Forget how much money he has. Forget how many books he published. Forget how many people love him. Forget how many people look up to him. Forget how many people he saved. Is what he did right there good or bad? It's not that hard generally to tell. And you can't turn around and be like, yeah, but the city's gone. He won. You see? You judge based on what was done. And then you say, by faith, you know what? It wasn't winning. I don't know what God would have done. I don't know how God would have accomplished saving his people. But it didn't take lying and cheating and stealing. It didn't take murder and adultery. It didn't take all of the sins that his faithful kings, faithful prophets, faithful pastors, faithful fathers and mothers, it didn't take those sins to bring about God's good plan, to bring about God's victory. As a matter of fact, God brought the win in spite of all of that sin. God uses his servants. He uses them particularly when they're faithful. Follow him. Let's pray. Father, we know that it's easy for us to judge 
and put people into good and bad lists. Father, it's much harder for us to acknowledge that there is none good except God. It's much harder for us to acknowledge that your faithful servants still do wicked things. Father, it's hard for us to call out those whom we love and respect, those who have been faithful. Father, it's hard for us to see that sin with eyes that are really open. Because we don't want to see the sin in ourselves, let alone the sin in others. But Father, by the blood of Jesus Christ, the sins of your people, like David, like Asa, and like us here today, those sins are forgiven. Father, we don't make light of them. We confess them. We repent in dust and ashes. Help us, Father, to put our trust in you. We know that no amount of money we save up, no matter what kind of currency it's in, no matter whether we convert it to supplies, Father, these things will not save us. But you will save your people. You will be a strong support if our heart is wholly devoted to you, Father. Strengthen us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.